to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Remember Jesus said at one point to the disciples, he said, the works that I do, you shall do also, and you shall do greater works than these. And everybody who's ever thought about that passage has said this, how in the world could you do greater works than Jesus? And that, that's a good question. How would you do greater? I mean, what, what can you do that's greater than raising people from the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind? How, how would you do anything greater than that? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, in a message titled, The Gifts of the Spirit. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Okay, let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. So verse 1 says, now about the gifts of the Spirit or about spiritual things, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now down in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working." But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing or discerning between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, the word gifts, it appears here in the first verse of all of our translations. But as Char pointed out previously, in the Greek text, it doesn't say gifts. It just simply says spirituals. And so some have thought spiritual things. uh, Some have thought spiritual people. But really, what Paul is talking about here are the things of the Spirit. And then at a certain point, he does use the word gifts. So it's, it's fine to call them gifts, but he calls them the manifestations of the Spirit. And I really like that because that tells us what's going on. Think about it. The manifestation of the Spirit. This is how the Spirit shows himself among us. That's what these are. These things show us that there is the presence of God in our midst and that God is at work among us. These supernatural things, these beyond human things, these things that we couldn't do ourselves by ourselves are happening among us as evidence that God is with us. So when the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus was coming to a close, 
he began to prepare the disciples to receive the helper that he would send. And we looked a couple weeks back, we looked at some of those statements found there in John's gospel, chapters 14 through 16. But Jesus was preparing them for the helper that he would send. The helper he was referring to is the Holy Spirit. And of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this. He said to the disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you, all things that I said to you. He also said, he will guide you into all truth. He will tell you things to come. And then finally, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. Now, Jesus taught in essence that the Holy Spirit would carry on the work that he had started. So we pointed that out previously. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you, but I'm gonna send you another helper. And that word, another, means another of the same kind. So in essence, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to go away, but I'm actually going to come back to you, but I'm going to come back to you in a, in a slightly different way. He's coming back through the person of the Holy Spirit. So only through the Holy Spirit the work would expand to the uttermost parts of the earth, the work being then delegated through the Spirit among a multitude of individual believers. See, that's the thing. Remember Jesus said at one point to the disciples, he said, the works that I do, you shall do also, and you shall do greater works than these. And everybody who's ever thought about that passage has said this, how in the world could you do greater works than Jesus? And that, that's a good question. How would you do greater? I mean, what, what can you do that's greater than raising people from the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind? How, how could you do anything greater than that? Well, it's clear that Jesus is not talking about greater in that qualitative sense. He's talking about greater in the quantitative sense. You're gonna do greater works because the work is gonna be spread all across the planet through those who believe by the work of the Spirit. That's what Jesus was talking about. And so we need to understand this. God never intended that the church should run on human energy and ingenuity, but rather through the energy and ingenuity of the Spirit. You see, God intends that the Spirit be the one who is leading the church. That, that's God's, that was God's plan in sending the Spirit, that he would lead the church. Ephesians 4 tells us, Paul writes this, he says that the gifts that God gives, they were for the perfecting of the saints, the, the gifts of the Spirit, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, 
for the building up of the body of Christ. It's to that end that the ascended Lord gave gifts to men so that the saints could be perfected to do the work of the ministry so the body of Christ could be built up. The church is to be built and to advance by the power of the Holy Spirit working through those that God has gifted. That's how God designed it to happen. That's why the whole subject of the gifts is so important. And I think that's why Satan has put so much effort into creating confusion over the issue. I mean, if you look at what Jesus says as he's communicating about the future and about the Holy Spirit, and as you look at what is happening throughout the early history in the book of Acts, how many of you are reading through the book of Acts like I told you to do? Oh, this is bad. (laughs) You need to read through the book of Acts. It's easy and it's exciting. It's an adventure. But why I want you to be reading through the book of Acts while we're going through this series is because I want you to see what the church is supposed to look like. As I pointed out before, some people say the book of Acts is descriptive. It's just simply a description of what was happening in the first century. Well, it is certainly descriptive. It is telling us what was happening. But it was more than that. It's prescriptive. It's telling us what God wants to happen. So as we're talking about these gifts of the Spirit, as you're reading through the book of Acts, you're seeing in action the teaching that Paul is laying out here to the Corinthians. So that's why I want you to do that. I encourage you to do that. So as I said, Satan doesn't want the Spirit's power at work in the church. He wants people to take over the lead of the church, people that he can fool and manipulate in order to prevent the church from doing what God intends it to do. And so we want to not play into the hand of the devil. We want to lay hold of what God intends with the gifts of the Spirit. So really quickly, before we look at the gifts individually, let me just say a few things that are stated in the text that we read. Number one, the purpose of the gifts is for the common good, or other translations read for the profit of all. So remember this, that the gifts that God gives us are not for our own personal benefit, although they will benefit us, but they're more for the benefit of everyone else. Now, think about that. Since that is the case, if you have a gift that you're not using, you're then not benefiting others and the body isn't functioning the way God intends it to. So the purpose of the gifts is for the profit of all or for the common good. The gifts functioning in the body, second thing, are essential to the health of the body. They're essential to the health of the body. 
If we had a giftless church or a church that did not exercise the gifts that God has given, we would have a sick church. In order to have a healthy church, we have to utilize those gifts that God has given. Now, the context of the gifts of the Spirit is twofold. The gifts of the Spirit take place in the local assembly, number one. So this is a local assembly. We are gathered together as the people of God right now. We're gathered various times throughout the week in different contexts. Some of it's on campus, some of it's in homes, some of it's at a coffee place, whatever. But it's in that gathering of God's people, the local assembly. That's number one. And then secondly, also in the broader body of Christ. The broader body of Christ, meaning other churches and Christians of other denominations and things like that, that we together, living out the gifts that God has given us, that we would have the impact that God desires us to have. So, the Spirit is the one who works all these things. Look at the very last verse. Verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So, these are... As Paul says, these are the manifestations of the Spirit. So these manifestations, know this. These manifestations, the ones that we're going to look at specifically that Paul mentioned here, these, in in some ways, it's better to, to think of them as manifestations than as gifts. Because we have other list of gifts in Romans 12, for example. We have a list of gifts there. 1 Peter 3, we have a list of gifts there. The reason why I think manifestations is better is because gifts imply a permanent possession. So God gave me a gift of teaching. It's a permanent possession. It's not something that I have to worry about like, oh gosh, I don't know if I'm gonna be gifted to teach. I'm not sure if God's gonna show up. It's a permanent possession. And I can exercise it and develop it and, and so forth. And if you look at, we, we don't have time to look at Romans 12 today, but maybe just in your spare time, read through Romans 12 and look at the list of gifts there. And you see that they are, in some ways, they almost seem like natural abilities. They're not natural abilities. They are supernatural abilities, but they manifest themselves in very natural ways. So as I'm exercising my teaching gift, there's probably not, hardly anybody who's sitting there thinking, man, this is so supernatural, what's going on? Wow, this is amazing. This is like a miracle. Now, some might be thinking that, but (laughs) most of you are not thinking that, right? It just seems natural. But these things here, like I said earlier, these are the manifestations of the Spirit, and the very intention is that they would not appear natural. (laughs) They would appear supernatural. And so the manifestations are not the permanent possession of any believer. So the things that we're going to read about here are not permanently possessed by anyone. But rather, they are the potential experience of every believer. So any one of us, 
at any time could actually be the instrument through which these manifestations would happen. So we are all the potential recipients and vessels of these gifts. We can experience all these gifts at one time or another. But as we see here in the passage, this is based on God's sovereignty, not on human will. Now, let's look at the gifts or the manifestations. I'm gonna call them the manifestations. So here's the problem right up front. The problem right up front is that scripture does not supply us with an exhaustive description of each of these manifestations. As a matter of fact, in some cases, we have no description at all. We just simply have, and God has given to some, the message of wisdom. Man, you wish Paul would have said, and let me explain what that is. But he didn't do that. And since he didn't do that, we need to prayerfully approach these matters and always let the scripture be our guide. So in a sense, we sort of have to figure out a little bit, like, okay, what is this? And this is where Jesus becomes so important. Remember Charles' message last week about the spirit-filled Jesus? So Jesus models many of these things for us. We see these things working out in the life of Jesus. And even though, as was emphasized, Jesus has the spirit in an unlimited measure. No one else has the spirit or has ever had the spirit in that way. Jesus has the spirit in unlimited measure, but we have a measure of the spirit. And so we can look at Jesus and we can learn about these manifestations. And so let's do that right now. So the first thing that Paul says in verse eight, he says, to one there is given through the spirit the older translations or different translations are word of wisdom. It seems like the, the word there is better. It's a message. It's not a singular word. So the message of wisdom. What are we talking about? What is the message of wisdom? Well, I think as you put the pieces together from scripture, what you come up with is the message of wisdom is God's answer or a supernatural answer or solution to a perplexing situation. We all face perplexing situations. In the church, we face perplexing situations. We don't know what to do. We need a message of wisdom. We need a word of wisdom from God. Now, with Jesus, we see him exercising this word of wisdom when he was being tempted or when the religious leaders were trying to entrap him. So, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil. And the devil, you remember, he says to Jesus, he says, if you're the son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. Now, what is Jesus gonna do? He is the son of God. If he doesn't turn them into bread, gonna look like he's not the son of God. So he's in a dilemma. It's a perplexing situation. How does he get out of this? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was a word of wisdom applied to that situation. 
Remember when they came to Jesus with a coin and they came asking, or they came not with a coin, they came asking about taxes. They wanted to trap him. They wanted to get Jesus to say, don't pay taxes to Caesar. Caesar's bad. And so they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? What did Jesus do? He said, give me a coin. And then what does he do? He takes a coin. He said, whose image and inscription is on this coin? Well, that's Caesar, they said. He said, right. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Wow. They went away with their tail between their legs. That was wisdom that was unmatchable. What about the situation when they came and they brought that woman? It was caught in adultery. They threw her down in the presence of Jesus and they said, Moses and the law commanded that such should be stoned. What do you say? Well, if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, then, oh, you're violating the law of Moses. If Jesus says stone her, then they're going to go to the Romans and say, this guy's telling people to stone people. So we know. What does Jesus do? He says, the one that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. So in all of these, we see this wisdom that's at work. We see it in the early church when they had this problem. There was in Acts chapter six, it's recorded. There's a problem. The Greek widows felt that they were being neglected and that the Hebrew widows were being preferred. And so they came with this problem and, you know, what can we do about this? And the apostles, they said, this is what you do. Choose out seven men from among you who we can put over this. And they chose these seven men. They all were Jews with a Greek background and it completely solved the problem. But up until that moment, it had been quite perplexing. And so that's how a message of wisdom might work. It can come through the written word. It can come through a spoken word. It can come through you to another, or it can come to you. You might find yourself in great perplexity, and you have no idea how to deal with it. And the Holy Spirit brings through some means, through a person, oftentimes, that word that solves it all. It's like, oh my goodness, of course, that's it right there. These things happen. Now, next we have what's called the message of knowledge. Now, these are similar. There's some, seems like some overlap, but the message of knowledge, I would define it as the God-given ability to instantly know something previously unknown the God-given ability to instantly know something previously unknown. Now, again, we see this with Jesus. Remember when Jesus met this man at Nathaniel? It's in John chapter one is the record of this. And Philip says to Nathaniel, you know, come and, come and see this, this person. He's the Messiah. And when Nathaniel comes, Jesus says about him, he looks at him, he says, oh, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, I don't know you. How do, how do you know me? How, how are you saying that? And Jesus said, 
before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a timely resource titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. Has a skeptic in your life ever stumped you with questions regarding God, social ethics, or supposed contradictions in the Bible? Well, with this book, One Minute Answers to Skeptics, concise responses to the top 50 objections and questions by Charlie Campbell, you can be equipped to address the questions of skeptics on those exact topics and many others. If you want to be equipped to always be ready to give a defense of the faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.